Good morning, everybody. You want to stand up? We'll sing this first song. If you uh, look at the world too much during the week, it drives you crazy and just depresses you. So we turn our eyes to a different place.
I fight to follow You're my righteous guide And you train me to delight in all that's holy Heal my broken body Cure my crooked stride Throw off there
As you're at, having a seat, just like to welcome everyone looking for my pulpit. As I dismiss the kids, right? Thanks, Brian. Well, it's great to see you all. Hope you guys are having a great weekend. Uh, I know I am. We, we had some visitors yesterday uh, from Illinois, so that, that was definitely a joy. Um, and uh, just kind of uh, uh, enjoying also to be with um, our church family today. Uh, and as we gather, um, first of all, let's just get uh, a couple things out of the way. Um, I, I want to uh, offer some announcements. We have things ramping up, and October 2nd, which is coming up very quick, uh, we will have our fall festival here uh, at the church. Uh, so invite all of you guys to be a part of that, and your friends and family, and whoever you have that you want to just drag along uh, should be a good time. And the Joy Club, as we've been mentioning, has uh, uh, decided to uh, get things back online again. And uh, we'd certainly love to have uh, anybody who wants to be a part of uh, this gathering on Wednesday the 6th uh, for uh, a, a basically a presentation by uh, Chief J.T. Panzot. So uh, that's coming up here in just a short amount of time. And then um, yoga classes are going to be uh, again with uh, Kendall again. Uh, on October 7th, uh, and if you've done those, uh, I know that it's always been a positive experience for, for people who are seasoned um, uh, persons, but also people that, that join in discover that it's really a good way to de-stress and uh, work on health. Uh, our um, kids are going to be gathering at the corn maze on October 17th, um, right outside of town here, just down the road from where I live. Uh, so if um, you want to be a part of that, um, and kids, uh, that's kind of a category that seems to fit people of all ages, because I know a lot of arrested development people that are, you know, like myself, a little older. So it could be fun. Uh, and then um, Trail of Treats, October 24th, and uh, we're just praying for no rain. Right, Shane? Uh, and but it's always awesome. So looking forward to that as well. So a lot of cool things happening. Glad that um, we have some things that, that we can reengage with. And I know last night, uh, I think the football team met at the um, soda shop downtown. If you've never been, you should try it out. Um, got a million and one different kinds of soda from all over the world, and they had pizza, and we sponsored that. And I was so glad that we had such a wonderful turnout and a great time. Uh, with that. So just another way that we're trying to connect with the community and with the kids. Um, so we want to encourage that activity as far as uh, uh, just building those bridges. Now let's move into our prayer time for just a minute. And of course, I'd like to welcome all of our people that are gathering with us online. 
And if you have any prayer uh, things that uh, you might have on your heart, we'd love to be praying about that. And uh, just put it in the comments or uh, text us or let us know, email, however you can so that we can pray. Um, and I get a lot of texts, by the way, from people in the course of the week about things to pray about and I'm always happy uh, to be in prayer for uh, any needs that our people might have. Uh, so let's just find out what's going on with you guys. Um, anything that is, don't even have to, you know, well, let's just, let's just get, get going, going, okay? All right. Uh, Jerry? Okay. But he's asymptomatic, and they're gonna, he's postponed everything. So okay. they really what, didn't really figure out exactly what his what's wrong with him. Yeah. So it's making me a little nervous. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. What's his name? Virgil Walker. Okay. Virgil Walker. Mm -hmm. um, so pray for Virgil, just um, asymptomatic COVID, but don't know what that means or where that's going, but pray that God will just uh, keep his health and the people around him as well. Okay, Diane? I have a trade. Um, I need to ask for prayer for my great-grandson. Uh -huh. He had COVID, and he has made it safe this week. Oh, good. And he's only 18 months, so. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a praise for sure. Okay. Uh, anyone else? Got anything? Praises, prayer requests. Kendall? Um, my sister's father-in-law, George Morris, is in the same place with an uh, infection in his heart. He has not been doing very well. They're waiting on surgery, but it's just stroking. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's um, your sister's father-in-law, George Morris? Okay. How about you guys up in the balcony? All good? Good to hear. Okay. Well, oh. Krista? Yeah. Okay, what, what is uh, her name? Oh, yeah, okay. So she's having bone marrow on the 7th of October? Yeah, a test. A test? And the chemo on the 14th? On the 11th. On the 11th. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just making updates as I go along. Okay. All right, let's um, take this uh, gathering uh, before the Lord's throne. Uh, would you just bow with me? Our Father, as we gather in spirit and in person, uh, all of us together in one mind and one heart, hopefully uh, with a desire, Lord, to be surrendered to your will and your purpose for our lives, 
not just each and every day, but especially in this moment as we seek to, in this unique experience, hear your word proclaimed, um, engage with one another in words of encouragement and words that hopefully are you flowing through our, our, our lips to uh, the lives of people around us in ways that build us up as a body. We're grateful, Father, that as um, we take uh, the substance of everything that uh, has been brought to bear upon uh, the needs and the concerns uh, that, that we share, um, we pray that you would work in each of the lives that have been mentioned. We pray for uh, Jerry's brother-in-law, that you would help him as he recovers from COVID, and that none around him would be affected by that, and that his health would not be impacted in any way. We pray, Father, that you would be with um, just Diane's family as they celebrate um, their grand grandbabies uh, thriving still, and we thank you, Father, for watching over our little people in the way that you do, surrounding them with your angels and just caring for them and in, in their vulnerability. We pray that you would be with um, George Morris and that you would help him as he is going through such a severe struggle that you would uh, allow his health to return and whatever underlying causes are creating these uh, very adverse conditions, we ask that, um, that, that, that his, uh, his body could resume its, um, its capacity once again. We pray, Father, that you would be with Beverly as she anticipates this time of testing with her bone marrow and the chemotherapy that's going to be following on the 11th. Please just help her through this time. We're grateful, Father, that as uh, we seek to do things within uh, this body that reach out to the community, uh, that you honor those experiences and help us to connect with others around us. And thank you for what um, our people were able to do at the uh, soda shop last night in, in just hosting alongside um, that business. Uh, our, our, our kids from the high school, and we just pray that that sense of hospitality would be just a huge signpost to who you are and why you make a difference. And as we have so many things that we're unfolding here, Lord, that um, require your spirit to occur in a, an effective and, and hopefully fruitful way, we just pray for your blessing upon gatherings that we'll be having and things that uh, we're doing uh, through the kids' ministry that we trust, Father, are, are just your way of signaling to, uh, to people that there is a different story other than the story that the world is telling us, a story about redemption, about your sustaining presence, a story about your faithfulness and your great and deep love for us. And we are grateful, Father, that we are stewards of that story as your church. And we pray that we could be an alternate voice to um, everything that um, is generated in the media and just in the thinking of people who are not connected with you. Lord, as we come to um, sit at your feet and hear your word, we pray that our hearts would be open to receiving those things that you have to say to us, and I pray that as your messenger, that I would be um, in tune with what your desire is for each of us in this moment. 
So bless the reading of your word and the proclamation of your word uh, to the upbuilding of your body that we could be strong and established in you. And may we, our hearts and our minds be aligned as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I don't know if you ever pay attention to that prayer, but there is so much in there to meditate on. And as we say it together, I just want to encourage you guys to maybe in the course of, of the week as your day is unfolding, you're in your car, you're commuting, or you're frustrated at work, or just any number of scenarios, to recite the Lord's Prayer and then ask the Lord, show me what that means and help me to, to be in tune with uh, your purposes that it's by design um, intended to create in us. Uh, so it's not just an old, tired prayer, but rather it is a fresh revisioning every week of what the kingdom of God is about. Now, we're going through the book of Luke, as you know, and, and we're going to be taking a break in two weeks and go through the book of Philippians and explore some themes there. Um, but in the meantime, as we, as we conclude this part of our journey, we're ending with three stories that I think all sort of are are, are intercommingled, and they are the story of the Good Samaritan, the story of Mary and Martha, and then as you shift into Luke chapter 11, the opening verses, it's, it's the story of the Lord's Prayer and how that affects the two previous stories that um, we're going through. So if you were here the last few weeks, you've been uh, hearing about the Good Samaritan and what that means and all of the backstory behind that. And today we've got these four verses that we're going to be exploring, just a short, small, smallest section of Luke that we've, I think I've preached out of since we've been doing it. And uh, yet it's very powerful and it has a lot of timely things to say for, for us. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to just kind of follow along, feel free. Uh, but we're going to be looking, um, at, certainly on the screen, uh, at uh, Luke chapter 10. And this is just a very um, simple little um, dialogue that is happening between Jesus and one of his really key disciples, believe it or not, Martha, who I think gets a little bit of a bad rap because of, of the way that uh, we, we look at the story. Um, but uh, there's a lot to be said about this lady, and, and, I, and I certainly hope we can bring out some of that. So here we go. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. So let's just stop here for a minute and set this up uh, uh, so that we can uh, begin to perhaps uh, find what, what God is, is doing with the story, both in putting it in the Bible, but also in helping us as a church to be who we're called to be. Um, so here we have two ladies, Mary and Martha. Can anybody tell me where else in the Bible these two ladies show up? Anybody remember? Okay, in, in John uh, chapter 11, 
we read about the raising of Lazarus. And you can read that story and you're thinking primarily about a, a, a dead guy being brought back to life. But if you read it through the filter of, well, who is Martha in the story and who is Mary in the story, you see something that perhaps you've missed, maybe have missed before like I have, and that is there's sort of a depth to these two ladies. They are disciples of Jesus. They are very serious in their attention and in their affection of the Lord. Yet even with all of that, God is still working on these two in a way that is changing them from who they were to who they're becoming. And as we're going through Luke, I, 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 want, I want you to know something if you're new to the faith or if you've been here for a while. Each and every day, we are promised in Scripture that God loves us just the way we are, but he is not content with keeping us in that space, that he has actually a better vision for who we are to become. And the best way I can describe it is this. Imagine you were a, a daughter or a son of royalty. And somewhere on the, on the way from going to um, one end of the kingdom back to the castle, you stopped at a roadside rest area to take care of your business and maybe get some soda out of the vending machine and that sort of thing. And then you got your entourage back together and you headed off to the castle. Only thing being, you're, you're pretty much uh, halfway there before you realize that we, we left our 10-year-old daughter or son back at the rest area. Now, I know this story well personally, and I'm not going to go into it because I'll get in trouble. But I'll just tell you, it's a scary thought. But what's even scarier is if you had left them at the rest area or they had wandered off at the rest area and you couldn't find them. And so you went back uh, and you discovered that they weren't there. Now, a person came along that was a very loving and gracious person and kind and tried to find out who the owner of this kid was. And they couldn't, and so they just took them in. And that child grew up in that home, uh, and it was just a working-class home that did things as, as you know, working-class like ourselves people do, and just manners and customs and ways of looking at the world uh, in, 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 that, in that space in life. And then one day, uh, the girl or the boy grow up, and they look at the royals, and they see a family resemblance. And they start to wonder, wow, I look a lot like those guys. And then somebody else sees it, and they recognize that there's a connection that is being made here, that that lost child at one point um, uh, was just given up for lost completely, totally, never to recover, to being reunited with that family once again. But because that child had learned everything about a way of life, through the eyes of just a working class person, they discovered that that actually wasn't who they were supposed to be in life, but rather that's where they, they wound up. And when they were reunited with their family, after a blood test and everything that confirmed it, it was clear that this child was royalty, that everything 
that was destined for that child in principle was still in effect. But the mindset of the child was, I have never been around royalty. I don't understand how that way of life works. I don't know the roles. I don't know the responsibilities. Yet I'm told that I, I'm, I could very likely be an heir to, um, to the crown. And so there's a lot that has to happen in the mind of that person who in principle is in royalty, but in reality has a long way to go before they are able to fulfill that role and that responsibility properly. And I know that every time I baptize somebody, a lot of times uh, an expectation is created that I have my, had myself at the time was, okay, now I'm going to be changed. I'm going to be different. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to do things that are, uh, that, that are against the purposes of God. What I discovered is there are a lot of habits that are still there. But I have something inside of me now that is empowering me towards new and different habits. And I have the Word of God that is giving me an instruction manual on how to become the person that in principle God says I already am. And that is a child of God. But the gap between where I am now and where he wants me to be is pretty big. And God, every day, is in the process in your life and mine calling us to become the people that we are, in principle, supposed to be and, by definition, already are. And as Luke is writing this book and Paul writes his letters... They speak specifically to the fact that I'm offering these words, first of all, to help you to see that God is reclaiming you. He's rediscovering you and your lostness and calling you back into your royal, royal state. And then a lot of what is being told is designed to help you and I to understand who it is that we're supposed to be. And when somebody comes up out of the baptistry, I like to share with them, you're going to be doing a lot of the same stuff you were doing before. But now the Holy Spirit is in your life helping you to do the things that God wants you to do. And you need to pay attention to that so that that process doesn't get short-circuited and you end up stuck somewhere. And Luke is um, writing about a specific incident that on the surface doesn't make any sense. It's about Mary and Martha. And Martha, I'm assuming because the word diakonoi is used to describe her and her activities, and Luke only uses that word in a sense that this is what people who follow Jesus do. They serve. That's what that word means, diakonoi, diakonos. And yet... She's being called out for serving. And that doesn't make any sense, does it? But it's not really the serving that's at issue. It's where her heart is at when it comes to what drives her to serve. And that's going to that's gonna show up. 
Because when Jesus is looking at Martha's sister, and Martha is a person that I think is probably the older sister, probably pretty highly functioning, and probably gets a lot of things done. And she's pretty, she's pretty vocal. She doesn't go to her sister, maybe she did, but she just goes straight to the source and says, Jesus, tell my sister to step up her game. Clearly, she is not doing what she needs to be doing right now alongside me. And the way she asked the question in, in the original language is she's just expecting that it's a no-brainer, that Jesus is going to say, yeah, I know. She sits at my feet a lot, but she doesn't do a lot. That's what she's thinking. And that word sat at the Lord's feet is just the exact same wording that Paul wrote later on, just as a sidebar, when he said, I sit at the feet of Gamaliel, the great rabbi. And it's a metaphor for I'm being instructed and taught and mentored by somebody. So when it says that Mary sat at the feet, it's, it's not just a literal, she's, you know, she's sitting down here and he's teaching. It is, a, it is a metaphor for the fact that her whole way of life by design is paying attention to what Jesus said so that she can become who she needs to become. Because it says she listened to his teaching. And I want to contrast this with the parable of the Good Samaritan and the backstory that really is going on between Jesus and the lawyer. The lawyer heard, but he wasn't really listening. Because hearing, you know, we hear things, but sometimes what people say and intend isn't always what we take away. We tend to hear what we want to hear and try to make it fit what we want to do. And that's what the lawyer for sure. Whereas Luke is intentional and says she's listening. That is, she's carefully weighing everything he says and then weighing her own life and her own heart and saying, is my heart right where it needs to be with you, Lord? Or are you teaching me things that are causing me to change? And that's sort of going on underneath the surface. As Jesus looks at Mary, he sees somebody who has no other agenda but to honor the Lord's will. And then there's Martha. Now, this has no bearing on any Marthas in the room, so don't take this personally. It's just a person named Martha, just like, you know, there's a person named Leonard Skinner somewhere on the planet. Um, as, as, as this dynamic is happening, uh, we continue to read uh, in Luke 10, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And I'm guessing a lot of people are, are, are saying in the commentaries that this is about all of the people that Jesus has in his entourage as he's going from Galilee down to Jerusalem, making his way to um, ultimately being crucified. And Mary and Martha are in the village of Bethany. Luke doesn't mention that, so it's a little bit out of sequence in the story, but he's doing this on, intentionally to show that, um, uh, that, 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 that the disciples and Jesus stopped at their house. Their hospitality was wonderful. Unlike other places, as we've read through Luke, where 
People were not very hospitable to Jesus, especially Pharisees. When Jesus called out the Pharisee and said, you called me in, you fed me, but you didn't really do much for me. This gal, you know, she's, she's wiping my feet with, with this, this very expensive oil. So hospitality clearly is a big thing, and Martha says, got it. I need to be hospitable to Jesus, which she appears to be making a huge effort to do all of the things that the culture says that you have to do to show hospitality. But that is probably part of the problem because she's driven to show hospitality in a way that Better Homes and Garden is saying, you must do this or you're going to experience shame. And what Jesus is saying is it's not bad to have those things, but they're less important than the hospitality of, of your heart and your willingness to open that up and to say, would you come in? Because it's easy to perform religiously like that, but yet in your heart, you're just not having it. You're just not willing to say, I want to surrender my life in its imperfection, in my willfulness to you, Lord Jesus, so you can do your good work inside of me. And that's a hard, hard surrender that each of us struggles with daily. And Jesus takes this very dear friend, Martha and Mary, and we know that from John 11, that he's pretty close to these guys. And he calls her out. Because she's trying to call her sister out and then she's saying, tell her to help me. All right? Now, this is how the conversation ends. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. <laughs> I always think of the Brady Bunch when I hear this. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Um, uh, but he's saying this in a way that I, I think says, I get what's going on. I get your concern. I truly understand why you're saying what you're saying. But I, I'm not going to give you the answer that you want to hear because my big concern isn't whether or not there are crumbs underneath the couch cushions or whether or not Mary's putting on an apron like you are very important stuff, don't get me wrong. But what I am concerned about is how you're prioritizing something more than the one thing that is so important. So he goes on to say, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And I, I think a lot of times I'm more like Martha than Mary. And maybe you feel that way too. Because there's just, life is complicated, isn't it? There's a lot of things to distract us. There are a lot of very important things that sometimes we get out of order in priority. Even gathering here on Sunday morning, as tempting as it is, especially when the weather's nice, to stay home or to do that thing that you want to do, 
I can also tell you that when we say, I want to, but this is the right thing to do, because the church relies upon me as it does everybody else to be part of this body so that we can be a voice for the Lord collectively. As tempting as it is to do that other thing that is so important, we have to every week prioritize, don't we? Gathering together. Because we need each other. And other people need us. All of you, all of us. And as we do that, we're saying... Lord, I am anxious about many things. And the Lord said in another passage, in another sermon, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and then all this stuff that not only is creating worry, but also the anxiety, which is your, just the bodily manifestation of worry because it's just taken over. That's why you need yoga, by the way. Kendall will tell you that. And, 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 and as, as she's preoccupied with these things, Jesus sees it, and he sees that even though Jesus is important in her life, she's letting other stuff define her life in ways that are not healthy. And as Mary is, is, is really kind of the, the topic of the conversation here, Jesus goes on to say, the thing about your sister, even though her gifting is different, and you know, Mary never talks. We never have one word that comes out of Mary, this Mary, Mary of Bethany, Mary's mouth, um, in, in the telling of their stories, even though they show up a lot. But we do Martha. Martha's got a lot to say. Martha's assertive. She'll tell you what she thinks. And that's not a bad thing, as long as it's calibrated for the Lord's purposes. And Martha's upset when Lazarus dies, and she goes out to Jesus and says, why, of all things, did you allow this to happen when we know that you are the one person capable of rescuing him in his distress, and you didn't? Whereas Mary's kind of passive. She may be at home reading her devotional Bible. Maybe she's praying about it. I don't know. She's obviously got the same concerns we read in that text. And we won't go there for now, but you can later. But yet, clearly, one is very much about having a faith that they experience God the most when they are doing. And then there are other people who experience God the most when they're meditating and they're reflecting. And there are other people, like my, my son, he goes out into the wilderness, and I'm sure my friend Jason is like that. And there's just something about that environment that says, God. And we're drawn to those things, and we tend to express our lives along those lines. And the Holy Spirit enables us in ways that are described as our gifting. And he's not calling out her gifting. It's the fact that no matter what you and I are called to do in this body, it is never going to work right if we don't establish what we do with Jesus first. Whether it's preaching a sermon, teaching uh, a, a group of people um, after uh, the worship gathering, whether it's serving on the kids' wing in hospitality, 
in doing things for the community. We can do all that stuff, but I would just give you a word of warning. Before you do it, ask the Lord Jesus to not only be a part of it, but to work through you in it. Otherwise, you know what? It's just you doing stuff. And in Luke, we've kind of been there because some disciples went out and they tried to do kingdom work and they said it wasn't working. And Jesus said, the reason why it's not working is you're just trying to do it on your own power and your own strength. You forgot to include me and it doesn't work, does it, without me first being brought into it. And this is really what's going on here. Martha loves the Lord. But she's busy thinking in her own mind, I know what the Lord needs before asking the Lord what it is that he wants her to do. And that's really what is being called out here. And I, I'm, you know, if I'm pointing any fingers at any of you, I want you to know the other four digits that I have, or three in this case, because my thumb doesn't work well that way, um, are saying, Leonard, guilty, guilty. I've, I've just learned. I've, I got to get out of the way. That one thing necessary, that one thing essential, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her, which means it, it, it'll, it'll work. Whereas you're trying to do something and it's you doing it, it's the, it's the Martha show. And there's nothing worse than trying to make a kingdom effort a show about yourself. God will not bless that. It has to be you reflecting him in whatever you do. And I'll tell you, when you do, he makes it work. Just the power of the name of Jesus. It has to be our first and foremost priority. So let's just look at a few takeaways as we, um, as, as we, as we begin to um, uh, look at how this has bearing on us. I really don't believe this is a Mary versus Martha story. It really is an us together story. Jesus, Jesus isn't saying to Martha, your sister's better than you are. No, he's saying, we're going to use this moment to help you calibrate a little better your priorities. What Mary's doing is fine. And she'll have her own issues that I will have these kind of conversations with her that the Bible doesn't mention, but I'm sure happened, that also call her out on a few things. And when I think about us as a church, anytime we get into an us versus them posture, it just, it, 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 it de-energizes the work that's happening. And Mary and Martha were key people in providing an environment of hospitality. And if you walked into their house and all you see are these two people glaring at each other, you ever been in that space before? Everybody's like, this, that was a wonderful production. She put out all the fine china. We had, we had very civil conversation. It was lovely. Let's move on. That 
is not what we want. Uh, we, we do want to come to an us-together place. Now, I, I, I would define it this way, because I, I get it. And sometimes the conflict is inside of me, Leonard versus Leonard in, as, a, as a kingdom citizen. Sometimes the conflict is us having two wills against each other. But the way you disarm that is you ask the question, God, show us where we, each of us, need to be responsible here. And to, and to own it so that when we gather, we're moving more towards a we equation. Now, I would say we are gathering in this room. And the goal isn't for us to be divided over different things. But, the, but if it's just somebody versus somebody or some people versus some people, but then now we're we together in the church, and that's good. But when you get to the place where it is us, and this is my own definition, that means we're doing things together on purpose. We're actually having forward move, movement because we're aligned. And that's why we pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. If you listen to it, it calls you out, but it also helps you to be in tune with how you need to look at things. So these guys, Jesus isn't trying to pit them against each other. He's just trying to say, you got to make me the first priority. Here's the second thing um, in the takeaway department. As, um, as you look at the two, the only difference was they're gifted different. And, and I'm sure that if we explored a little further, we could define what that means. But I would just say all of us have different spiritual capacities. That one isn't better than the other. It's just we all have a different function. And we need to ask God, how am I supposed to perform my role in this body in a way that activates my own spiritual capacity? And we'll explore that later, but we do read uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the gifts and things, and we're going to explore that at some point down the road. And if you want to take me aside and say, help me to know what my spiritual capacities are, I'm here to help, as, as many others here are as well. But here's the third thing. Um, as we're looking at the story, at, you know, we talked about the Good Samaritan and Mary and Martha. And what I discovered in, in comparing the two is there is a time to go and do, and there is a time to listen and reflect. And Jesus is calling out Martha, not for the going and doing part, but for the Martha as much as you want to do, your doing is based on what your agenda, you think your agenda is, or you think that I want, but you're not really spending that time with me to really ask, and then shape your agenda according to what I'm leading you into. That's a subtle distinction, but it makes all the difference in the world, and it is why you and I have to spend time in worship, and we have to spend time serving they're not two separate departments. The key is knowing which and when I should be doing one versus the other. And the only way we can really understand that is to just first go into any situation and say, Jesus, what are you doing here? 
I was gratified to hear what happened with you guys at the soda shop last night because I know you didn't really even know what is going to be the outcome. And yet God showed up and cool things happened because you're, just, you're wanting to pay attention to what the Lord is doing and then unfold it that way. And sometimes his script is different than ours and some of us like to be in control, but God is saying, you got to put that aside and put Jesus first. Now, I, I just want to share a little story. We had my niece come over uh, this weekend, and uh, they brought their, the whole point of them coming over. I really want to see them. I, I want to see this girl here. Um, her name uh, is Margot, and she was born a few, you know, about a month ago or so. And I, I just wanted to see Margot so badly. So I, my niece called me up Thursday and said, guess what? We're going to show up at your house tomorrow night. Don't tell Mandy. So I had 24 hours to keep a secret. But I, I know Marin well enough that if I tell Mandy, I'm going to have a Martha Jesus conversation, only it's going to be worse. And so I didn't tell her, and Margot showed up about 11 o'clock at night. It was wonderful. But what was interesting is I didn't expect that my whole house would be as open and hospitable to Margot's presence. But um, what I discovered was um, our dog, Nigel. You've heard me talk about Nigel. You're like, oh, no, you're going there again. Yeah, unfortunately, I am. Um, and, and so this is a scene that happens the next day. There's um, Caleb, who's Margot's dad, and there's Margot on the floor staring at butterflies or something up there, lighting up and just having all kinds of fun. And then there's Nigel. Notice Nigel's looking at Caleb. Now you may think, well, that's a big deal. Nigel would not let Caleb get close to his daughter. He would not. He set up a parameter around um, Margot. He wouldn't even let me get close. And if you're looking at that picture there, he's looking at Margot through the thing up at Caleb. And Caleb's just up there going, I hope someday I can reconnect with my daughter. But <laughs> Nigel's not allowing it. So I'm like, we got a little kid here. This could escalate into a dangerous situation. So I said, hey, Nigel, let's go for a walk. His ears perked up. Walk? You said it. And he just... He, his ears go back like this, and they flop, and he comes towards me like that. And I said, okay, all right, let's go. So I put him on the tether. We go outside, and he's looking a little bit conflicted. And I said, let's go over that way, you know, to the other property. We started over there, and he had to do his business. And then um, he wanted to go back around the house. And he pulled me back around the house to the front door. Uh, he had to do an emergency poo real quick. And then after he got done with that, he's back in the door. And I unhook him, and he's racing back to Margo. And he's looking at Caleb like, don't you touch her. And we're just kind of thinking, what happened to this dog? Because the one thing above everything else that he prioritizes is going for a walk. I mean, it doesn't matter what he's doing. If I say, hey, let's go for a walk, he's all over it. But he walked out that door, and he's like, I'm conflicted. I have two directives in my head. One of them is, I really want to go for a walk. But another one is, there's a little girl in there, and 
these people have had me, my family have had me for going on, I don't know, 11 years. This day will be marked in the annals of time as the day that my purpose showed up. Because I'd never seen this dog on any purpose that wasn't about this dog. And he's like, I have to protect her. He was very concerned for about an hour, and he fell asleep. Because he's not used to being that stressed out about something. <laughs> but as soon as Caleb moved, he's perked back up again. And the only reason why I brought that up, it's a fun story for sure, and it's interesting. But the thing that defined what he did centered on that sense of, this is the most important thing I must do. This is the one thing necessary. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. If, if you had told me that, I'd say, you're kidding me. That dog would never do that. But he gave up all the luxuries and privileges and all the things that are so wonderful about smelling groundhogs and other things out in the woods to keep his eyes on her. <laughs> Uh, it's so beautiful. And it was the one thing necessary in his mind. And I appreciated this picture because he's seeing Caleb through her. And isn't that a wonderful way of saying, this is how I look at other people through the eyes of Jesus? Because I really think that's what Jesus is telling Martha. I love you, Martha, but you're seeing the world through your own eyes first without asking what does it look through my eyes. And so the next takeaway, um, and I'm just going to do these real quick, the one thing necessary is not centered on what we already think we should do, but rather for Jesus the one thing necessary starts with carefully listening to what Jesus has to say to us and then acting on it. And I wonder if the Lord or some, you know, the angels or somebody said to Nigel, this is why you're in the valley. To watch over her. I don't know if you heard what I said. This is why you're in this house to watch over her. At least that's what his takeaway was. He's going to be so lost when she goes. But the thing about the Lord is he never, never goes. He's always with us, no matter what. And Mary's, in a sense, trying to protect the Lord through hospitality. But the Lord's saying, actually, it's really about you receiving what I have for you. And if you read the text again, you'll see that. And let's just go to the last takeaway. Let's just fast forward to the last one. This is a story about reorganizing our personal priorities around Jesus' kingdom values. You and I, by design, are royalty in God's eyes. We were called initially 
to reign over the earth only under one authority above us, and that was God himself. That's a pretty big, bold identity statement, isn't it? When the world beats us down and says you're nothing or you're worthless or you're not salvageable or God hates you or any other thing that is a lie from the pit of hell that we tend to occupy ourselves with, and it can come from people that we even know and love. But when God looks at you, he sees you through a bloodstained cross. And he says, that's how much I love you. That's how, what I went through to rescue you. And I will leave no stone unturned until you're restored. And that's why we proclaim the gospel. Every chance we get. And if you've walked into this room and you weren't aware that your identity was actually, by God's definition, royalty, I want you to understand, it is. But you have to move back to the palace, so to speak. You have to move back into the kingdom in order to become who you are supposed to be to begin with. And our process is pretty simple. It's basically saying, I am no longer subscribing to the values of the world in a way that it tells me what to do. But I am now subscribing to a personal relationship with Jesus and then listening to what he says I need to do. And it really is just a, a switching of loyalties between one and the other. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And God calls us to come into his presence through confession of faith. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of living God. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And then we identify with his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism. And when we come out of that, the scripture promises that the Holy Spirit will be enabling you to live the life that you're supposed to live. And then the big challenge is keeping the one thing necessary front and center at all times. Now, as I end this message, um, you guys, some of you I know are fidgeting with your communion cups. I'd say just go ahead and start fidgeting, and I'll, start, and I'll, and I'll, I'll lead us to the Lord's table. Now, after the sermon, of course, is the most important moment of our worship gathering, bar none. It is that sacred space that we are creating now, even as I speak, that is centered on that cup. But it's just more than that cup. That cup is a representation, a physical representation of the physical blood of Christ that covers us cleanses us, heals us, and then remakes us. And so when we drink of this cup, Jesus called it the cup of the new covenant. So it's not just a mystical, magical remaking of our lives through a concoction, but rather it is the, it is the acknowledging that this covenant gives definition to what the cup is.
And in some cases, like any relationship, we have to come to the Lord and say, I'm sorry. I've not made you first. I've prioritized other things. And they could be things that, in your mind, you know, God's convicting you of that are, you know, profoundly sinful. They could be just an attitude that's subtle, but is completely different in flavor. And it's everything in between. And God says, let's take a minute and let's make it right in this covenant. And I love it when people take a moment and reflect on that. But then there's the body, which is the wafer. And it's just a, a crude symbol of a broken body on a bloodstained cross that was God's way of saying, this I gave to you, this broke the curse that said you are nobody, you're nothing, and you don't belong. And it created the path to the place where you were called to be from the very beginning. And that is in God's family. And Jesus pulled that off. We never forget. We never, I mean, it is the original never forget. So every Sunday, we respectfully and honorably thank him. But we humbly say, help me to be who I need to be. Help me to keep that one thing that's necessary first and foremost. So let's just take a minute, reflect, and then take of the loaf and the cup and connect with our Lord by that means. Lord Jesus, as we gather at your table, thank you for what you spread out for us in the form of a covenantal remembrance. Thank you, Lord, for having such a deep and profound love for us where we are, but yet such a rich desire because you see what we can be in you. That in so many ways, rehumanizes us in the way that you originally made us. May this loaf and this cup facilitate that end as we surrender to you through it. In Jesus' name, amen. in your own time.
Father, that is, that, may that be the flow of our life. Help us to have the initial beholding of you through the truth of your word, the power of your gospel to save, to put us in a position where we're, we exist in the adoption of our Father through our big brother Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Make us not only knowledgeable of you, that we would not just believe in you, but believe you and sit at your feet and hear what you have to say. And may our lives be reoriented, reprioritized. Christ, may you be the ever-present center. You've placed eternity in our hearts, and only you can fill that void, the eternal one. Every time we open our Bibles, we have the opportunity to be Mary. When we lay in our beds, sit at our tables, wherever we wherever we do that, there you are. As we come here, as our pastor leads us, the songs sing of your glories. May we be at that most prized of places at your feet. It's for the glory of your name we pray, asking this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we will see you soon.